So, yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Rensu. I'm one of the elders here. And, uh, yeah, it's actually the, the, the story of Marianne waiting until five is actually a very good story for where I'm going today in the message. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, if you think about it, like, uh, so human nature is, is inherently impatient. We, we really, really struggle to wait. Like, if, we, if we're going through something tough, we just want to get out of it immediately. Like, we just want to jump ship, just get out of it. We don't want to be, we don't want to sit in it. If we, we, we're expecting good news or possibly bad news, but if we're expecting news, we want to get that news right now. Like, we don't want to wait until 5 a.m. to get the news. We want to get it right now. Um, and then also, the, uh, if, for example, I want something, like if uh, there's something I desire, um, maybe it's something I need, then I want that thing right now. And I'm, I'm seeing that with my kids especially now. I've got two small kids. And uh, the other day, the, the one came to me. He's like, hey, can I please have an ice lolly? And I'm like, okay, well, just not now. We're about to have supper. After supper, you can have the ice lolly. And immediately, there are tears. Like, it's the end of the world. Like, life has ended. I couldn't get my ice lolly right now. And uh, that's human nature. We, we see that actually in ourselves. Like, uh, as, as a parent, you see that in your kids, and you realize, oh, wait, that's actually true of myself. I maybe don't cry, but in my internals, I still feel impatient. And then another one is if we need to make decisions, um, we need to know option A or option B. Should I take this job or should I take this job? Should I, um, I don't know, marry person A or marry person B type of thing? The, the hopefully before you start pursuing them, when you start uh, still figuring out, yes, keep your hands open. <laughs> so so in, in those decisions, you, you're obviously asking God, give me clarity, give me wisdom here. And you want him to tell you right now, like maybe an open heaven, like audible voice coming down, okay, marry person A. It's <laughs> That's what we want. We want these immediate answers. And, and it doesn't help that the world actually trains us to be even more impatient. Like everything is obviously about instant gratification, getting immediate results. Um, like a microwave, for example. We can't really wait to eat up our food, in, food anymore. We just put it in the microwave. Um, our normal slow ADS, our internet is no longer fast enough. We need fiber. Everything is always about we need something more immediate. We want it uh, now. We can't actually wait. And the, the problem is life doesn't really always work like that. And especially in the kingdom of God, life doesn't work like that. But, but there's sometimes then we, we try to put these noble intentions around it. It's like, okay, well God, you have not said I must wait. But like, surely wait, waiting is just a waste of time. Like I must do something. Like I can't just sit around doing nothing because uh, like time is, is precious. Time is money if you're in business. And uh, you, you can't just sit around doing nothing. And, and also it feels like you're being lazy if you're not doing anything. I'm just sitting there, I'm waiting. I can't just be lazy. I must do something. And there's this constant feel like I must, I must just get things in order. I must uh, solve this issue that I'm going through. I must make a plan. It prevents us from actually waiting on God. And the reality is we're just not fit to wait. We're we just, we're unfit. We haven't trained ourselves to wait. We just don't know how to wait. That's why we make up all of these excuses of God, like, I can't wait now. Like, I, I need to know the answer right now, so I'm just going to do something. And in the process, we, we are like Abraham, and we kind of create Ishmael's where it's like, okay, well, God, I've waited such a long time. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I must just do something now. And God never actually called him to, to do what he did. He went to Hagar, had Ishmael. God wanted to provide through his wife, Sarah. And in these times of waiting, there's this cry in our hearts that, that constantly rise up. And it's, it's uh, so well expressed in Psalm 13 that, uh, yeah, I'm just going to read through that. It's this question of how long. It says, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever, how long will you look the other way? 
How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. <laughs> so it, it sounds quite dramatic, but yeah, that is actually, <laughs> that is in us. Like if we're really going through something tough, it's like, come on, God. Like, where are you? When are you going to do something in this situation? When are you going to answer me? And the answer that God usually gives is, in my proper timing. And we don't really want to hear that. <laughs> but waiting is a biblical principle. Like waiting on the Lord is a biblical principle. We're not going to get away from that. That's the way God's worked with us. We, we see all of the stories in the Bible, and we're going to look at some of them. But that just teaches us the nature and character of God. And we see that he is a God that uses times of waiting to form us. So it's a biblical principle. And the, um, Psalm 25 verse 3 says, Indeed, none who wait for you, none who wait for the Lord, shall be put to shame. Now, you might feel like waiting is a waste of time, that what is the point of waiting? But it says, none who wait will be put to shame. At the end of the day, you might feel like, I don't know how I'm going to solve this thing, but if you wait on the Lord, you will not be put to shame. You can have that confidence. And on the other hand, if you don't wait on the Lord and you violate this principle, there will be a price that you will pay. Abraham is again a good example. Ishmael was born, there's this conflict, even up until the present day, between the seed of Abraham through Isaac and through Ishmael. There's a consequence, there's a price to pay if you don't, if you violate this principle, if you don't wait on the Lord. So what I'm going to try to do today is to, to show different aspects and nuances of waiting on God so that at the end of the day, we can wait well on the Lord. We must learn how to wait well on the Lord. We must grow in our fitness to wait. I'm going to start by boarding around Lamentation 3, verse 22 to 26. And um, Isaac had a, a good sermon at the beginning of the year about lamenting. And lamenting is where you're just honestly expressing before the Lord, life is just sucky. Like, this is not fun right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so the, the, the idea of lamenting is that it's, it's not a fun place to be. But you, you, you kind of put your perspective on God in that context. So waiting is directly linked with lamenting. Like if you're in a space of lamenting, there's usually some waiting that you're busy doing for God to bring deliverance and to bring the outcome in it. Okay, so I'm just going to read through it, and then I'm going to start commenting. So verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let's just stop there for a moment. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We're learning about his character here. He's got steadfast love. It says his mercies never come to an end. And great is your faithfulness. So this is the God we serve. He's got love for us, steadfast love for us. He shows mercy to us and is faithful. He will carry us through. He will ultimately bring the outcome the solution that we need. And then he says, on the back of this, now that I'm, I've just expressed who God is, Jeremiah writes, he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will wait in him. The Lord is my portion. He's the one that satisfies. He's the one that I will put my confidence and trust and hope in. He is the one that is my portion. He's the one that I value and desire above all else. Like in this middle of this lamenting, in the middle of all of these struggles, I will put my attention on God because he is my portion in the middle of this trying, tough time. Now, it's, it's interesting that uh, part that says, therefore, I hope in him. In the NIV and the NASB, they translate it, therefore, I will wait for him. I'll get back to that right now. But so in verse 24, it says, therefore, I will wait for him. And then um, verse 25 the Lord is good to those who wait for him, 
to the soul who seeks it. Verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So in three verses, he kind of uses the, the word or the idea of waiting three times. And this is quite a common thing. If you read the Old Testament, you see this a lot. The, the Hebrew way of writing is that if they want to emphasize something, they repeat it. And if they really want to emphasize something, like put two exclamation marks next to it, they repeat it twice. Like they really, that's the way of emphasizing things. And also, in emphasizing it, it's not just a repetition of the exact same phrase. They usually delve a little bit deeper. Like as they repeat something, they, they dig a little bit deeper into what is the true meaning of this thing they're trying to communicate. Just going to wait for that for a second. So, yeah, in, in this idea of it's digging deeper, one thing that's a little unfortunate is in, in our translation, we don't have many words to signify different types of waiting. But in Hebrew, in, in the Hebrew language, they've got many words to signify waiting. And in this passage, in the three verses, they use three different words for waiting. And all of those three words carry a different nuance of how to wait and how to posture yourself. And we kind of lose a little bit of that um, in the translation. So, um, in, in fact, there are actually four words in Hebrew that can be translated to wait. Uh, they often have other meanings as well, but uh, yeah, four words that can be translated um, to wait. So I would like to delve into these different words and then kind of highlight the different nuances and different ways that we posture ourselves so that ultimately try to identify your situation that you're going through right now. Say, okay, this is now what the thing I'm struggling with. Try to see how it fits into these four aspects of waiting so that ultimately we can wait well. Now the first word is yachel. And uh, that's the one that we, we started with there. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him, or therefore I will wait for him. It's like having this picture of who God is. I have this, this knowledge of it, who he is. Therefore, I can have a confident expectation that he will bring the outcome. He will bring the deliverance. I, because I know his char character, his nature, I can trust him. Because I can trust him, I know that he will bring the outcome in his timing, according to his plan. I can have this kind of confident expectation. It's, it's a positive attitude. And uh, there's a, a, in Psalm 38, sorry, verse 15, it says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It's the same word. For you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. I have this confidence that God is the one that will answer. I know who he is. I know his nature. I know his faithfulness. Therefore, I wait for him because I know he is the one that will answer. I don't wait because it's like, okay, I must just sit this thing out. It's not just like, oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I must just wait until I get to the light. There is a confidence in a person, the person of God, the person of Jesus, who will ultimately answer. And I, I'm going to, for these different words of waiting, I'm going to try to illustrate it with something. So the way I think about this type of waiting, this hopeful waiting, is I'm in the middle of the night. There's load shedding. I need to go so, uh, do something. It's pitch black dark. And I know if I go to my, my light, it's got power in it. If I turn it on, it will drive the darkness out immediately. There is a confident expectation I have in my light that I must just get to my light and it will, it will drive out the darkness. Um, now, in, the, in that same sense, when we wait on God in this kind of way, in this hopeful expectation, putting our attention on who he is, we can have proper perspective on our situation. Like we're in this dark place, but I know that if I go to him, he will be the answer. He will give me perspective. He will be the one that from whom the answer comes. Um, and Psalm 42 kind of says that that, that perspective element comes uh, across very well here, where it says um, in the ESV, it, it, uh, it, it, the, the psalmist is going through something tough. 
And then he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you with turmoil? Uh, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, or wait for God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. Just the NRT, it says, "Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad?" How many of you relate with that sometimes? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. This type of hope, this type of waiting. You're in the tough time, but you you shift your perspective. You put your attention on God. And as you do that perspective shift, it's like, I, I will again praise you, my Savior and my God. That is that attitude in your heart that shifted. The darkness has become lighter around you. It's no longer just this depressing darkness that you're sitting in. You, because you're waiting in the posture of, who is my God? Who is the one in whom I trust? Who will bring the outcome? It becomes a much, much easier way. So the psalmist is kind of saying here, Saul, why are you so downcast? Like, have you forgotten who your God is? Come on, put your hope again in God. As you put your hope in God, he will turn on the light in your soul so that you actually um, know who he is and that he is the one that will bring the answer. Okay, so the next word, kava. And I might pronounce these things incorrectly, just bear with me. Um, yes, all the Hebrew people that understand Hebrew here. So Lamentations 3 verse 25, the one that we read at the beginning, it says, The Lord is good to those who wait, to kava for him, to the soul who seeks him. And this word, kavah, is the, the one that has the most active connotation to it. This is an active type of waiting. It means to bind together in anticipation of something specific happening. And I'm going to use my tent here as an example. So let's say I'm playing Survivor, and they, they put me on some remote island with nothing. And it's in the middle of monsoon season. I know it's going to rain any moment now. What is the first thing I'm going to do? I need to board a shelter. Like, I'm expecting the rain is going to come. I don't know when it's going to come, but I know it's going to come. It's, it's imminently somewhere in the future. So what do I need to do right now in my anticipation of the rain coming? I need to start boarding a shelter. So I need to gather, gather some sticks. I need to get some things like that's kind of like string. Maybe they were so kind to give me a tarp. I can put the tarp around here. And now I have a nice shelter so that I can stay in there and be, um, be ready for when the rain comes. So that's the idea of Kavaz. You, you, you're doing the things that you can do, um, you, but you can't make the thing that you're waiting for happen. I can't make it rain by boarding a tent. It's just I'm doing what I can do in preparation for when the thing that I'm expecting is coming. Um, now, a, a good context for this in our spiritual life is that God has made some promise, and we are trusting him for, for this promise to, to come to pass. Now, first of all, I can't make the promise come to pass. Again, Abraham, a good example. He tried to make God's promise come to pass. That was not God's way of doing it. But he still had to wait on God. That was, th that was the attitude. He still had to, to have a certain posture in his heart. So the, the idea is that I know if God has promised something, I know it will happen. I don't know when it will happen. So let's, let's think about a prophetic word. So first of all, prophetic words, you must test prophetic words. As Paul encouraged us, test all things, hold fast to what is good, but do not despise prophecy. So in that same way, we test words. We bring it um, in the context of uh, more mature believers. We, we like bounce it off, like see, discern, is this really the will of God? And if we all discern that this, this is the will of God, then, okay, I'm, I'm holding on to this promise now. But I don't make the promise happen. So let's, let's use an example. Let's say, kind of in my context, God calls me to be a worship leader. And in this attitude of, okay, now I'm not a worship leader yet. Well, technically I am now. But the point is that in the sense of, let's say God calls one of you to be a worship leader. Um, in this posture of, okay, God has now called me to this role. You can't make yourself a worship leader. You can't put yourself in a position. You can't decide for yourself, okay, I'm going to lead worship on this Sunday. That is not the, the way that God puts things together. He doesn't 
say, okay, I promise and now you must do this yourself. But what you do need to do is you do need to prepare yourself. Like if, if you don't play an instrument very well, you need to be able to learn to play an instrument. You need to be play, able to play some chords on the guitar, for example, so that you can actually lead people in worship. So he's given you this promise, but there's something that you must do. There's a responsibility on you to prepare yourself so that when he makes you a worship leader, you are ready and prepared to be able to fulfill that role that he has given you to do. So that is, that's the Kavaka time of waiting. There's an active sense of waiting. Now, in this promises that God gives us, I want to just make an emphasis on God's timing is not always our timing. Abraham... God promised him, you, you will have as many descendants as the sand by the sea and as many descendants as the stars in the sky. And he had to wait 25 years until Isaac was born. From the time God made the promise until Isaac was born was 25 years. How long have you waited for some of God's promises? <laughs> some of you aren't even 25 years old. <laughs> Another example, Joseph. Um, he had a dream. Um, well, two dreams, but the, the dreams basically uh, showed him that his brothers and his parents will, will bow down before him, and then maybe somewhat foolishly he shared this with them. Um, they were quite upset. Ultimately, he ended up in Egypt. And after going through prison and go being falsely accused and lots of challenges in his life, which is like, God, what happened to this promise? Eventually, in a moment, God raised him up to be the second in command in Egypt. But from the time that he had the dream until he was raised up in that role was give or take about 13, 14 years. Again, how long have you waited? What dips have you gone through? And in those dips, still keeping on to God's promises. Maybe doing what you need to do. He was faithful in the house of um, uh, uh, Potiphar. He was also ultimately faithful in the prison. Through his faithfulness in the prison, faithfulness to God, God revealed some things about the interpretation of dreams, which ultimately raised him up in that position. What is the things that you need to do in preparation for what God maybe is calling you to? Last example, David. Um, so Samuel comes to, the prophet of Israel, comes to David's house and physically anoints David as king of Israel. Like, it cannot be more unambiguous than that. Like, the guy literally poured out all over your head. Like, <laughs> you know you've been anointed to be king. Um, and despite that, having many opportunities to grab the promise for himself, having many opportunities to, to kill Saul, get rid of the, the, the present king of Israel, he never took one of those opportunities. He always postured his heart to say, Lord, I will wait for you, wait for your timing. And again, give or take 15 years after he was anointed king, having that promise that he will be the king of Israel. It took 15 years before he was actually the king of Judah and then another two years or so to be the king of Israel. So it's a long time that God was forming him. And in all of that time, he actively did. He was busy in occupying himself with the things that he needed to do to be a good ruler, to be a good king. So that's the, the idea of Kavak. Just two passages that use this word, um, two familiar passages. Uh, the one is in Isaiah 40, verse 30 to 31. It says, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait, who cavar for the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up uh, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's like as you're actively waiting, as you're doing the things that God has given you to do, um, you might not feel the strength in the moment of waiting, but he will renew your strength. In time, he will actually enable you to do the waiting through the time period that he asks you to wait. And then another passage, Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. There we see the word, Yahweh again, that we just discussed, that hope um, aspect. But the first two is like, I, I wait for the Lord. I, my soul waits. 
In verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. More than the watchman waits for the morning. So how does a watchman wait for the morning? Well, first of all, they don't really want to stay awake throughout the night. They are really hoping that the sun would rise soon so that they can actually go to bed. Um, so there's a, an anticipation of something specific happening. The sun will rise. I can't make the sun rise. I have to just wait until the sun rises. But what do I need to do while I'm waiting? I need to be vigilant because I'm standing on the wall that if the enemy comes, I would be the first guy that would notice this and then wake up the entire city so we can be ready. So I need to stay vigilant. I need to stay attentive. I must busy myself with the tasks I need to do. I don't know, maybe lights, uh, make sure that the, the fires don't uh, like run out of fuel or whatever. So I'm, I must do the things that I'm, I have to do for this time while I'm waiting, but I have eager anticipation for the thing that's to come. So yeah, that, that posture in our hearts is doing what we, we should do right now, but not making the thing happen, not jumping ahead in time. Okay, the next word is chul. I don't know how to pronounce that word. I think it's chul. Um, but I have a baby for this one because the word means to writhe in pain, especially in childbirth, or have anxious longing. <laughs> so this baby is already born, but, uh, well, kind of, it's a, it's a doll. But uh, the, the idea here is that I'm going to, Stand there. Um, the, <laughs> the, the idea here is that as you're in labor, there is a, and an, a big anticipation of the baby is about to come out, but while you're in labor, not one moment of that is fun. It is, it's a painful experience. It is, you're writhing in pain. Um, you have anxious longing for this child just to come out. But you know that as soon as he comes out, like they would, your life would change. Like it would be amazing to have this baby. You, you're longing for that moment to hold the baby in your arms. And as soon as you hold the baby in your arms, you forget your pain that you just had five minutes ago. So the, this word chore means that you're busy in, in a space of, of really intense struggle or suffering emotionally or physically, but ultimately will bring forth something that's desirable. So let's say in our spiritual lives, we are intensely struggling for something. We have an anxious longing to get out of this situation. But we know that by struggling through as well, by persevering well, by enduring through this well, that it will form within us the character and the maturity that we need, that God is busy actually trying to mold inside of us. And he can't actually do any other thing, like he can't do it in any other way than to push us through this suffering and teaching us how to persevere. So Psalm 37 verse 7 um, says this. Oh, wait, sorry, just stay there. I, I want to say something. So the passage, if you look at that in Lamentation, it says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You have anxious longing. God says, if you have this type of waiting, it's good that you wait quietly. Because <laughs> what is the first thing we want to do if we are suffering? We want to complain to everyone about how we're suffering. We want to tell God, oh, come on God, what's, what's kind of wrong here? What's, what's, what's up with this? Like, I'm not enjoying this. Do something about this. We're grumble, grumbling and complaining towards God when we're in this type of suffering. That's our natural inclination. So that's why it says we need to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then the next verse, um, Psalm 37, it's the same word that's used here. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently, chul patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So one example that he's giving here is you're seeing in the world, there's lots of evil, things are falling apart. The evil man is prospering in his, in his way. And uh, he's carrying out his evil devices. And you, you're kind of getting upset with this. Like, and you're just like, come on, God, when are you going to do something? That is, that's your, your anxious longing that you have in the inside of you. And then God says two things. He first of all says, fret not yourself. Do not worry about that. 
that is not your problem, that is my problem. That's kind of what God is saying. Fret not yourself over that person. And then the second thing he says is, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. How much trust do you really have in God? Because if you truly trust God, trust his faithfulness, trust his power and his sovereignty, when you see these things, you would be able to wait still and wait patiently for him. Because you know he will bring the outcome that is needed. So the, when, when you see your attitude rising up, like, come on, God, when are you going to do something? It should be that, that bell that goes on and say, this is an opportunity for you to again posture your heart to trust God. I will wait still before the Lord. I will not fret myself over the evildoers because I will wait patiently for him to bring the outcome. There's another passage which I, I find, I suppose, just a bit, bit more humorous. Um, it's Genesis 8 verse 10 because it, it gives us some insight into Noah's experience while he was on the ark. So, first of all, Noah's been on the ark for roughly about a year, like different estimates vary on this one, but let's say about a year. And he, he, he realized that, okay, the boat, the ark has gotten stuck somewhere on land, like on Mount Ararat that, that we know now. And he sends out a dove. It's like, okay, well, maybe I can get out. God hasn't said anything. So he sends out a dove, and the dove comes back. He has nowhere to land. And then it says, after the dove came back the first time, he says, and Noah waited with anxious longing seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. It's, it's like you, you, you can kind of put yourself in his shoes. He's been stuck in this boat with animals for a year. He's been stuck here with his family for a year. He's ready to get out. So he's, for those seven days, like every day is thinking, like, okay, I must just wait one more day. Like surely, like just one more day. He's having this anxious longing of waiting. And finally, he, he sends out the dove again, and then the dove comes back with the olive leaf. And then later he sends out the raven, and then they, they finally get out. But it's, it's this anxious longing that you have. Like you, you, you can't do anything about it. You can't make the thing happen. You can't force the baby to come out immediately. You have to go through this perseverance of waiting process. And then ultimately, it does bring forth um, what is what is the desirable thing. Okay, so that, that those are the three words that we saw in that passage in Lamentation. But there's a fourth word, and that's the word chaka. And uh, it's, it means to await, to long for something, to expect um, something to happen. And uh, this is quite a broad word that's applied in many contexts. So one of the contexts I'm going to kind of highlight is this, the context of waiting until the very last minute or until the correct time, until the timing is correct. And... Uh, that is when my clock comes in. And I, I set it to the 11th hour because usually it feels like when God, when we ask when is the timing, God says, in my timing, and his timing feels like it's the very last minute. And can we wait, sorry, can we wait patiently for him in that way? Now this, this kind of waiting, it, it kind of emphasizes a long-lasting, a patient anticipation of something, something happening. Um, we're going to look at two passages and delve a bit deeper. So in Isaiah 30 verse 18, it says, blessed are all who wait for him. Wait for him in this, this kind of, I'm longing for him. I'm, I'm expecting something. Or I'm, I'm having this long attitude of posture in my heart that I will wait for a long time for you to, so that you would actually give the, the outcome. Um, this in the NLT, it comes across even more clear. It says, blessed are those who wait for his help. It's like you, you know his help is coming, but you must just wait for that moment until he finally comes through and gives the help that you need. Um, Isaiah 64, verse 4, it says, For of old, one who has, uh, no one has heard or perceived by ear, and no eye has seen a God besides him. So he starts by saying, 
God is amazing. There's literally no one like you. Nobody has ever seen any God like you. And this is one of the things that you do, God, is you act for those who wait for you, wait for you in this longing, anticipation, long-term attitude. So it means that as we're actively trusting for God's deliverance and timing, he acts for us. He's the one that does the work. We're not the one that needs to do the work. He's the one that, that acts for him. So I'm going to bring in a, a kind of a definition that I find helpful. Uh, it's, again, just one focus point of this word. It's, uh, it's this idea that to wait for him means that we pause and consult him in prayer. So when you face now with a situation, something has just happened, is your attitude to, first of all, pause and consult him in prayer? Our, our human temptation is to, first of all, maybe figure it out ourselves, but the second thing is that we run to human help, that we go and ask someone to, you, like this person that I can touch and feel and see, you are the one that's going to help me out of the situation, instead of putting our hearts and, uh, and, and trust in God. We see this in Isaiah 31, um, verse 1, where, where God says, woe to those, so emphasis on woe to those, who goes to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So when you are going through something tough, are you of this attitude, I'm going to run to someone that can get me out of the situation, Egypt with all of its might and power, human solutions basically, or am I going to look to the Holy One of Israel and consult the Lord, consult with Him in prayer? Like, Are you going to ask Him first, what are you saying, God? So before you do anything, pray. That is, that's the answer. I'm going to look at one more verse quickly. Psalm 106, verse 13. It says, But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait, Shakar, that long-term waiting. They did not wait for his counsel. They wait, did not wait for his counsel. Again, that, that idea of counsel. Like, Are you willing to wait and foster your heart to say, Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait for you to actually answer me. Like, I'm going to wait for your counsel. Not just going to pray, it's like, okay, God, I ask quickly, no answer, okay, great, no, let's do it in my own strength. That is not waiting on God. Waiting on God is that you're waiting until he gives you an answer. And, and I, I'm probably one of the first people that, are, that is guilty of this because my entire training, I'm an engineer, by the way, my entire training is to solve problems. So when I'm faced with a problem, it's, it's kind of my job description. You must solve the problem. <laughs> so when, when there's something tough that comes, my entire being goes into, okay, what are the things that I can do? What are the things I can put in place? What, what, what are the, the nuances of this problem that I must focus on? And which one is the most important that I focus, like solve that thing first? So all of this is part of my makeup. And the, when I was busy with my postgrad studies, I think this signifies a, a, a big struggle that I've been having, and I, I think I've grown a lot in this, is that I, was, I, I, I write a lot of code, like I, I do a lot of software development. And I was writing my, my code, and then I got stuck somewhere. Um, and yeah, maybe I, I should first say this. I think this might be helpful to start off. My entire postgraduate studies experience was that I do something, I run into a wall, I have no idea how to get over this wall. I wait on God, I ask God, okay, what do I do? I get over the wall, give a few steps, run to the next wall. Okay, God, what do I do? Okay, get over this wall, run a few steps, next wall. That was my entire experience doing postgraduate studies, and I think many of you can relate. But one of these, one of these things that I was struggling with was this one day I was writing my code, and then I... Um, got stuck on something, it wasn't working, and then I was like, okay, well, the thing is not going to solve itself, I must figure out what's wrong here, and I must just keep working at the thing until I finally figure out what's wrong. So I, I debug the thing from every angle, I look at all of the, the things that could be affected, I put all of my 
additional print statements in and everything, trying to see what is going on in my code. Why is it not working? And after three hours, uh, because I was logging my time quite uh, uh, a lot at that stage, um, after three hours, literally no progress. Not even one step forward of understanding what is wrong in this, this situation in Facebook. Three hours of wasted time that I will never get back. Um, after three hours, after three hours, I was so frustrated. I was like, okay, God, just what, what do I need to do here? Come on, just tell me. I finally, after three hours, consulted God in prayer. And then he said, go and sit in your piano and worship a bit. And I'm like, that's not the solution to the problem. But okay, like I'm frustrated enough that I will actually listen to you. So, <laughs> so I, I went and I sat at my piano and I just worshiped a bit. Just like, I don't know, maybe like 30 minutes or so. It's just really relaxed in the presence of God. Just, it was really actually quite a precious time. And after that, I went back to my computer and I'm like, okay, I need to still solve this problem. And if I'm not exaggerating by saying, I sat down at my computer, I looked at my screen, and the solution was immediately in front of me. I saw immediately, within a split second, what the issue was, and I solved the problem within 30 seconds. If I only consulted God in prayer three hours earlier, <laughs> I would have not sit there and sat there for three hours. So, yeah, that is that is the, the idea here, is that we should not rely on our own ability to solve things, or even on other people's ability, but we we wait for God and counsel him. And I think to, to try to put this in perspective, I was now giving the example of waiting, like, uh, and God actually solved the problem for me in a sense. But there's, like, it, this is probably one of my most favorite passages in the Bible. It's in 2 Samuel 5, verse 19. So the context here is um, David was just anointed king, and then the Philistines, we, which were the main enemy of Israel at that stage, they, they heard about this and they thought, okay, great. We're going to take him out while he's new. We just took out Saul and Saul's son, so we now we're going to take out David as well. So they, they're coming up to, to battle against David. And David's first reaction is not, okay, great, I'm a trained warrior. I've got my mighty men. Like, we're just going to take them out. Like, we've done this many times. Like, come on, it's, it's child's play. So David's attitude was not that. What David did is he said, uh, in, in, in verse 19, he says, And David inquired of the Lord. He asked, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And uh, it says, and so David came up to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemy before me like a breaking flood. So he gave God the honor for actually bringing the breakthrough. But, but in this example, he asked God, what shall I do? God said, go up, I will give them into your hand. Fight against them, I will give them into your hand. And then directly after that, the next slide. The next slide. Uh, directly after that, it says, um, and the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Okay, so we know how this goes. The Philistines come up against me. I inquired of God. God said, okay, let's go fight against them. So, okay, great. I know the plan. They're coming up again. Okay, so let's go fight against them, of course. Like, that's what God said previously in the same situation. But David didn't do that. What he did was, and David inquired of the Lord again. To David, this was a new situation. I'm faced with this challenge again. What must I do? God, I'm asking you, what must I do? And this time, the Lord said, you shall not go up. Go around the rear and come up the, against them opposite the uh, balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching and the troops of the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. And then the Lord, um, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the enemy, uh, the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines from Geba to Giza. So the second time, God said, do not go up. Wait. Sit, hide, wait until the moment is right. Then you know that I have gone before you, 
and then they will be given into your hands. So do we have this attitude that if God has taught us one, one solution, in a sense, for a problem, that we just enshrine that solution and say, this is always what God will say in every situation that I face that is similar to this? Or are we have a, do we have a posture to say, I need to be humble before God at every time when there's a something that, that I'm facing. I'm not going to be prideful and say, I know the solution. I'm going to inquire of God. I'm going to ask him and I'm going to consult with him in prayer so that he would actually give me what is the thing I need to do as my next step. So kind of with that, and I'm kind of landing with this, is this, this big question that we always have as to how do I make a decision? Like I started by saying option A, option B, potential wife A, potential wife B. Um, how do we make decisions? So I've, I've uh, come up with, uh, well I didn't come up with this entirely by myself, I heard part of it from someone else. But uh, I, I, I use this, this acrostic or this um, acronym called PEACE because you would often hear, um, what do I need to do? You need to have peace about the situation. But that's not very helpful because like, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm not in any peace at the moment. So how do I actually wait on God so that he answers me? And I, I use every le letter of the word peace to kind of just guide my time of waiting for the Lord. So, the, the, and, and I must emphasize here that all of these letters, they need to work together. You can't just say, okay, I've got one of the five, therefore, yes, God says, I must go in this direction. All five of them need to be in place for you to be able to move confidently in a, in a forward direction. So, the first one is providence. Now, this is uh, um, what people often say, this is kind of like the open door, like the a door has been opened to you. And uh, as, you, as you're busy walking this direction, you experience a favor, favor of the Lord, things are going well, things are just kind of falling in your lap. That is, that is often, in many ways, the way that God is blessing you. But it is also often a deception that the enemy could also use um, providence to try to lure you away from the things of God. So providence is not a proof or a evidence in itself, but it is oftentimes one good indicator that, okay, maybe there is something to just consider here. Um, and it might also be that you don't experience providence immediately. Let's say, for example, you have confidence that God is calling you to go to the Russian outreach, but you don't have the finances for it. You're not experiencing the providence right now. Now I need to pray about this, God, should I go, should I not go, but I'm not having the finances right now. So the providence isn't necessarily there at the outset, but usually as you start walking in the will of God, providence does follow from that. Okay, so as I was saying, the enemy can also bring providence, and that is the second word, the, the second, the, the E is enemy. So we can imagine the enemy, the devil, he's trying to destroy us in whatever way he can. So he's trying to shipwreck our faith, he's um, trying to make us less effective in the kingdom, and he's trying to get us to be more self-absorbed. And if we can see this choice is playing into his hand for any of these things, that it would ultimately distract us or make us more self-absorbed, more prideful, um, that that is something that should be a red flag and say, okay, well, maybe this is then not the decision that I should be going down. So just be level-minded, the enemy is trying to destroy you. Can you see this decision playing into your hand? The third one is authority. What is your authority in making this decision? Is this, this only your own desires, like I want this thing? Or is this something that has been um, really prayed through, you've uh, submitted it to, to leadership, you've actually uh, consulted with people that are more mature in the faith and actually said, okay, well, do, do you see that the enemy is trying to destroy me here or is, is this actually something that you see from God? Where is your authority? And ultimately, does it line up with scripture? Is the scripture the ultimate authority in this situation? Um, and uh, in, yeah, in many cases, you wouldn't get a black or white answer on this. It's sometimes more neutral, but uh, as, as long as you know that the authority is from God and not just from your own desires, that is a, a good starting point. The, the fourth one is confidence. 
So as you pray about this thing, you will often notice in your heart the Holy Spirit is shifting things around. He's molding your heart in the direction where you get more confidence for decision A and less confidence for decision B. It's, it's like there's an excitement that's rising up for this one, and then it's like, okay, well, this other one, I'm not experiencing the excitement of God in this area. Um, and another way uh, that you can think about it is that um, if you were to look at the decision A and you've got confidence for it, but your flesh and everything in, inside of you says, I don't actually want to do this. I don't want to um, go into the middle of Africa and just give my life over to the orphans there. That's not something my flesh necessarily wants to do. But if God is clearly calling me there, there's an excitement and confidence that boards up despite your flesh being contradictory to that. That's often a good sign as well. And then the last one is eternity. So we know that Jesus said we must gather treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. So if you, at the end of your life on earth, stand together with Jesus in eternity, and you look back at your life, and you look back at this decision that you have to make right now, can you see that option A, what that would look like in eternity, and what option B would look like in eternity? Because often option, one of the options could be for temporary gain, for temporary comfort or, or health or wealth or whatever, but it's, it's temporary. It's only valuable in the moment. In eternity, it's worthless. So can you see how in eternity this makes sense, that for the kingdom of God, this has um, impact and this is actually value? And then when you put all of these things together, you should have that ease and that peace that says, okay, well, God has actually directed me in this, in this, in this way. So then just the last thought, this is how we make decisions. And I, uh, I just want to comment on asking for signs because I think that's also a common thing that, um, that we tend to do. And we make this incredibly shallow, actually. Um, let's use the example of, of uh, dating or marriage again. It's like, okay, God, I'm going to ask for a sign. If I walk towards the girl and she looks at me in this way and she says, okay, we can go out for coffee, it's like, okay, great. Like, she's the one. Like, that's going to be my sign. And we make it so shallow. Like, uh, what has happened to actually waiting on God, consulting with him, building our trust and relationship with him so that we know his voice, that he, he would direct us with his voice and speak to us? We often ask for these in-the-moment signs to almost use God as a fortune teller to say, okay, well, what is the thing that I should now do? What is the avenue I should walk down? And we, we make arbitrary signs up. And I just want to discourage that to a large extent. God is, God is asking us to trust him, not to come up with some arbitrary sign that is going to just make us make these uh, impulsive decisions, actually. And uh, also what I teach at the university is probability theory. And many of our uh, signs that we ask God has a very high probability of coming true in any case. So, so you, you, you're biasing the thing in your favor, which is not helpful. So to close then. It is, we, we looked at four words, four different types of waiting. We looked at yachal, which is that hopeful waiting, that, um, that light that gives us perspective in our, on our dark situation. That type of waiting where we put our confidence and trust in God, knowing who he is. The second waiting is a more active waiting. It's kavah, where we say, okay, well, God, what do I need to do right now in preparation for what you are wanting to do? Like, there's something I'm anticipating. What is the thing I should occupy myself right now, finding something to get it? The next one was chill, which is to um, have anxious longing for something, to, to suffer through something. But ultimately what it will bring forth is desirable and good. And then the last one, what I was kind of emphasizing is that we must wait for God's time. So we must consult with him in prayer. We should not run ahead of him, ask him, what is the thing that you actually want to do here? And then as we humble ourselves before him, we, we can have confidence that he would answer and he would guide us. Now in Psalm 27, it makes it clear that waiting isn't always easy. 
It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's often not easy to wait. That's why we need to have strength. We need to take courage. It's like, be strong. That is what you do. It's like, let your heart take courage. That is what you do. You kind of gird up yourself and say, okay, I will wait for God. It's not going to be easy, but I will wait for him. Because I know in him is my trust and in him is my answer. And because I know his nature and his character, that he is faithful, that he is steadfast in, in mercy and in loving kindness, and that we would know that in him is our answer and our strength. So yeah, may we wait well. May we grow in our trust in him. May we hear his voice. And as we wait on him, um, yeah, may we, he fill us with peace that we know that we are secure in his hands. So I'll, I'm going to ask if you fall in one of these categories, if you will just quickly give me a hand. You are waiting. There's a promise of God that is given you that you are waiting for, number one. Number two, you are in a very difficult situation and you need breakthrough. That's number two. Number three, you sit with two decisions before you, decision A, B, it might be even a C. But you need to make a decision, and you do not know what that is. If you fall in any of those categories at the moment, can you please just put up your hand? All right, that's uh, 70, well, maybe it's more, almost all of us. All right, for all of, for all of us, this word is very, very, very applicable. So as you are there, we... We has this opportunity to make the right decision in God and see the promise, see the breakthrough, and see us come into the right decision versus bringing about a wrong decision, an Ishmael, and not walking in the favor of the Lord. Lord, we want to do this right. So right now, just you that have had your hand, I'm going to just pray, okay? So Jesus, I pray for any bit of impatience that wants to push us to run before the time or grab before the time, Father. As we cannot make the sun to rise, we cannot make your promise come about. We take our hands off and we wait for you. Father, in the moment of breakthrough and toughness and suffering, we believe again, God, that you will bring deliverance, Father. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be quiet in the times of deliverance because we see you, Lord Jesus, and trust that you will bring us forth and bring forth the child, the baby, Lord, that you have said, that you have promised, Lord. And Father, I pray for every person that stands in the valley of decision right now, Lord Jesus. Oh God, that you will not cause them through their flesh, through their desires, through any sort of deception, to turn the wrong way, Father. But, Father, we see the weight of this situation. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is faithful to bring us to where you want us to be. It's so interesting. Last week, we spoke on faith. It was such a clear word that came. And this morning, I didn't even realize Renzo was going to speak about it, but he spoke on patience. And it says in Hebrews 6, verse 12, faith and patience, by faith and patience, we bring forth the promise, Father. And I pray, Lord Jesus, any bit of impatience that you will root it out of us, Father. In Jesus' name.
Amen.